0: If you uh, remember where we were last time, if you're a visitor, first-time man, what we're doing is looking at how the Churches of Christ began, we've done that, how we grew, we've done that, and then what happened to us in the Civil War that fractured north and south in the church as well, city and rural, educated, non-educated, rich, poor, these lines were drawn. And the lines started to be drawn just before the war by a couple of people. Before then, there were, and even after then, there were many instrumental Churches of Christ and a cappella Churches of Christ. There were Churches of Christ that used women preachers, not exclusively, but they used them, and used them as missionaries, as, uh, as church planters, others that wouldn't have nothing to do with that. That diversity died in the Civil War. Moses Lard was the first one to write, saying that if a person used an instrument, they were no longer to be considered a brother. He was fought on that by David Lipscomb, who disagreed with that, uh, also by J.W. McGarvey, who disagreed with that. J.W. McGarvey, for example, never approved of using instruments, but attended a church that did, because he said, this is my community, and I don't leave my community. Uh, Moses Lard said you had to leave it. He was the first one to do that. But any discussion of the division that occurred around and after the Civil War is centered around one character. His name was Daniel Sommer. He was, and I've read every biography I can find on him and every paper I can find on him done by grad students. I, I don't say this lightly. He was irascible, bitter, Sarcastic, and truly believed he was the guy that knew what everybody else should do. This seems to have been a genetic trait because several in his family believed the same way and they spent most of their lives disfellowshipping each other in his family. Starting papers, writing against each other in the family. Uh, Daniel Sommer, S-O-M-M-E-R. The most... Uh, Popular and I don't know how much it's sold, but the easiest biography to get is called like a lion Um, There are a lot of research papers done on him He believed in division He believed it was our duty before God to divide from those who were not in perfect agreement with us He thought the the church was something that came to us enclosed and bubbled and locked down and could never ever change And he went so far as to disfellowship his own family, who in turn disfellowshipped him. Now, he was not from a southern state. He was from Indiana. However, a lot of folk in Indiana believed that they were southern. Please remember that that line was always elastic. It always was. Um, And the same way in Scotland, by the way, people say the highlands are the north. No. The northeast of scotland aren't isn't considered highland you know highland really comes at a line like this and there's some highlands that are in the in south it's it's a it's a people an attitude a language a tradition and a lot of um a lot of people in the southern half of the state consider themselves more akin to the south than the north sommer thought men like lipscomb were too in his words being too cute and sweet to northern liberals Here's the difference. Lipscomb was a conservative. You might call him an ultra-conservative, but I think I would actually fight that label on him because of some of the things that he believed that today he'd be called a liberal for. But he was a conservative. Daniel Sommer was not a conservative. He was a legalist. You and I, perhaps, have family members who are very conservative. That's very different than legalist. A legalist is somebody who believes that you must follow a particular pattern of law and that by keeping that law, that's what saves you. Conservatives may look like they believe this, but most of them have far more sense than that. They believe that following this law is what Jesus wants us to do and we're still saved by grace. It's a big difference. The was a legalist. He... um, in 1889 he decided to take control of our movement and he gathered a huge number of people 6000 is the estimate uh d- of disciples of Christ which is what they were called in Indiana at the time and read to them a call to divide from everybody who disagreed with his statement it was you've heard of the declaration and address that we've given you that He called this the address and declaration because it was intended to undo what the Campbells did of saying, whosoever will may come, we're a unity movement. He wanted to lock it down and drive out people. So he called it an address and declaration and he considered it to be his finest life's work. Uh, His paper prepared a a significant, he had a paper called the Octographic Review. Uh, Still, you can find uh, facsimiles and read it; it's painful, but you can. And there's a lot of private fights in there that you may not understand unless you know the people involved. Um, anyway, he had already prepared a group of the disciples, or the churches of Christ, or Christian churches. We used all the names. Ready for this message, the final words spoken. I'd thought about reading part of this to you, but you no. Know, just the last bit. Final part words. We state that we are impelled from a sense of duty to say that all such as are guilty of teaching or allowing or practicing the many innovations to which we've referred he had a long list and that after being admonished and having sufficient time for reflection if they do not turn away from such abominations that we cannot and will not regard them as brethren for the first time in our movement eighty years after it started Division became a Christian duty, not a sin. I would submit to you that division in Scripture is still a sin. That there are sometimes we're supposed to divide, but we're supposed to divide from divisive people. In other words, if people like to divide, divide yourself from them. Still, he wrote that we are saved by conformity to a set of traditions and doctrines, that it is not enough to claim a relationship with Christ. You cannot have a relationship with Christ unless you follow the right doctrines. I was taught that growing up. Um, So were many of you. He said uniformity was required for salvation and that man gets to set that time how long you have before you're kicked out of the church. Remember, he said, we'll mark you after a certain time. He didn't say Christ will throw you out. He said, we will if you ask a secular historian that has nothing to do with churches of christ and ask him when did the churches of christ start they may talk a little bit about the campbells but they will point to 1889 the sand creek declaration daniel sommer and say they started there because from that point the group that started calling itself church of christ started becoming started it was a process of becoming more and more and more exclusive do you know what i mean by exclusive we're the only ones going to heaven. We're the only ones to have it right. Um, don't know how Jesus made it without us before we showed up. That sort of thing. No, I, hey, I was a fully paid up member of that. Believed it, taught it. Um, wish I could go back and change that, but I, I can't. Lipscomb did not approve of the separation until 1906. 17 years later, the census called him and said how many people are in your movement and he felt compelled to say it is two movements now and he joined the Sommer side one of the reasons he did i don't think he wanted to i think one of the reasons he did was that the liberals pushed him we do that liberals and conservatives push each other into absurd positions you start you're only this far apart but by the time you're yelling at each other you're over here And I think he felt pushed. Uh, Other people, Dr. Robert Hooper, anybody know Dr. Hooper? Some of you nodding. Yeah, fantastic, sweet, wonderful gentleman, professor at Lipscomb wrote a book called A Distinct People. Um, I think it's still in print, is it? Um, You can find used copies if it isn't. A Distinct People he said it is in that period between 1889 and 1940 that the churches of christ became distinct and he's right it was a process it was a 50-year process to get us to become a denomination that claimed we weren't well you are you know and and that's not that's not a um a criticism it's an observation observation is not criticism it is merely observation. Um, Somers work pushed the two major sections of the work apart Isaac Garrett and the disciples in the north embraced education associations of churches unity while the southern disciples who now became started Not calling themselves disciples. They didn't want to be hardened with that same brush So they called themselves Church of Christ or Church of God Some of you are old enough to remember Some of our churches called Church of God then Pentecostals came along, and we were terrified of being thought to be them, so we had to drop that one. Um, anyway, the bumper sticker would have been too long back then. The Disciples of Christ salute you. The Churches of Christ salute you. The Church of God. But anyway, um, uh, they the the Southern churches became Church of Christ, Church of God, and it became more and more separate because they weren't talking to each other. I have a, a sister here from the northeast of Scotland. And although I'm, I'm, I'm a Western guy, you can tell that, right? Yes, west of Scotland. And um, <laughs> and Scotland's not that far. I'll tell you a real, a real quick story, which I, I just tickles me to death. My wife had never been to Scotland, but she'd known from date one, literally on the first date, I said, if this goes anywhere, you'll be living there. And uh, so right after marriage, we're going over. But we flew over first to, to make some arrangements. And we're in the big city of Glasgow, and um, as... as as we're there, I said, "Well, you know, my wife's never been to Scotland. She needs to see the, a, a couple touristy bits." I said, "We're going to go to Edinburgh." She said, "Where's Edinburgh?" I said, "It's the other side of the country." She goes, "Okay." So that morning, and by the way, all the all the people, a little congregation, are going, "Why are you going all the way over there? They're they're geese. You know, they're guys strange over there. Guy means very. Uh, uh, oh, they're quite strange. Those folk. oh I don't know, you know." But we went to the train station. We get there, sit down there. Couple there's a table between the seats. Cammy starts pulling out needlepoint and books and all this other and I said what you did and she said well To occupy the time and I said we're not going to be in here that long And she said it's all the way across the country. I said it's 45 miles <laughs> But the people in the Northeast think the people in sky talk strange and the people on the south side of Glasgow think the people on the north side talk strange Why? Because you don't talk to each other. And when movements don't talk to each other, it's more than accent that goes. It's words and attitudes and traditions harden. Um, In fact, Lipscomb sent the Census Bureau a letter why we were no longer to be considered the same as the people in the North. He said, There's a distinct people taking the word of God as their only sufficient rule of faith, calling their churches churches of Christ or churches of God, distinct and separate in name, work, or rule of faith from all other bodies or peoples. There are several other things, but I'm just going to a few of these. They are purely congregational and independent in their polity and work, so have no general meetings or organizations of any kind. He, I don't know what he would have thought about Lipscomb University hosting celebration last week. Their aim is to unite all professed Christians. That was the first time that word crept in. Instead of all believers, all professed Christians in the sole purpose of promoting simple, evangelical Christianity as God revealed in the Scriptures, free from all human opinions and inventions of men. The problem with this statement are many. That's a human opinion and invention of man. There are several errors here still um the census bureau wrote back and said well can you give us the number of believers in the south and he wrote back saying that's forbidden by scripture because god forbade david to number israel actually if you read scripture he was supposed to number israel and didn't and then numbered them in the wrong way in the wrong year but i who am i to quibble at this point he finally agreed saying well we're also told to follow the law of the land. So he numbered them and he sent this to them that there were nearly one million disciples in the north and about 160,000 members of the churches of Christ. The vast majority were above that line. The churches of Christ grew with partners. And I've, got a, I've only got a couple of more Sundays to do this, so I'm going quickly here. They grew with the American fundamentalist movement. Now friends, when I say American, I'm not dissent America. It just happened here. This is the time in the eighteen eighties and forward where a new movement began with certain principles. It had five essential doctrines were laid out at the first American Fundamentalism Conference of churches, saying, We're tired of all these liberal churches, we're coming back and the inerrancy of scripture And by that, they mean that if there's a contradiction, it's not a contradiction, you just don't understand it. And that if it says 2 million people, it means 2 million, not 199,000, 2 million, period. Everything is exact. The virgin birth of Christ, his substitutionary atonement, he died for our sins, very cool with that. His bodily resurrection, absolutely. The authenticity of the miracles, that all sounds fine. But they added to it, I have a book in my office that i showed the staff nancy very kindly offered to me she said you know i always she always does the devotion for the staff at our staff meeting and she does a great job and i don't want her job for that but she said you know you're the lead guy if you want to lead one so i brought in a book written 1941 by one of the fundamentalist leaders just north of here john rice bobbed hair bossy women and women preachers that's the name of the book and the apocalypse is when women cut their hair because it drives some men to suicide. It's in the book. It's in the book. In other words, it wasn't just these five, they also took on American attitudes around the turn of the century, and whatever culture pushed, they were against. Dancing, against. There's dancing all through the scripture alcohol against we're all i think we're all against drunkenness but jesus did make wine and don't you dare come to me later and say that was non-alcoholic wine it's impossible <laughs> because the way he describes it at the end the, when the the leader of the feast says everybody starts with the good grape juice and then when everybody has had been thoroughly graped they bring out the cheap grape juice no it doesn't work that way um, i don't think jesus ever got drunk i don't think jesus ever did anything to embarrass himself or his mama but what happened was we had to react to everything we had to become more conservative than thou and so the baptist did it we did it the evangelical movement did it and we locked hands with them before world war one most members of the Churches of Christ would not vote. And a good portion of them, more than half, according to the papers I've seen, people, I'm relying upon their evidence, I've not done the math. More than half were pacifists. After World War I, we were so caught up in American fundamentalism that for the next several years, and including today, a lot of folk think you have to be a Republican to go to heaven. I'm not sure Republicans or Democrats can go, frankly, but, you know, that's up to, that's up to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is probably going to love you. Uh, anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is we locked arms with political parties. And a lot of Christians today are in reaction locking hands with the Democrat Party and saying that good Christians love these policies. Stop it. All that happens. All right if I've not lost you yet I'm going to lose you now I love America my family has fought in your wars and um, I'm proud of them for doing it I pay my taxes every penny I owe I have a guy who does that for me because I can't figure it out you know and I whenever you play the national anthem I stand up but the last two churches haven't had to do it here last two churches I went to I removed the American flag from the stage because this is a church this is a community where we worship Jesus we cannot get it confused with nationalism it's not the same thing and if you think that was a popular decision in Colorado Springs with the U.S. Air Force Academy (laughs) it was not but I'm not afraid and so we would bring it back out during the week because we had a school there and they'd pledge allegiance to it and then on Sunday we'd take it off you, I, I think uh, patriotic songs are fantastic, but I don't do them here. Have you noticed? I don't do Mother's Day sermons. I don't do Father's Day sermons. I don't do Independence Day sermons. We talk about Jesus here. But our church had a history of locking their arms into whatever lockstep movement was going. Anti-communism. I don't, like, I don't want to be communist, but you get the point. Everything. And we became fundamentalists and then had to become more fundamentalist. Dwight Moody, for example, said, there are four great temptations. And I'm thinking, all right, I know what those are. They're not his. He says, the theater. uh, Anybody else? I was not allowed to go see movies growing up. Not even Disney. Because somebody might see you going in that theater and thinking you're going to see a nasty one. I I was a college graduate before I saw my first Disney movie. I only saw that because the girl wanted to see it but anyway um theater disregard of the sabbath some of you are going to go eat where people have to work to serve you mm-hmm. or mow your lawns for the longest time in the highlands um the western highlands in particular i'm doing this like i know where it is from here <laughs> you couldn't buy petrol um, you couldn't buy anything on a Sunday or couldn't be seen to be buying anything because that was against God's law Sunday newspapers alright they have a point coupons are way out of control and then atheistic teaching such as evolution um, you might be surprised to know that Augustine and Origen and Polycarp A lot of them did not read Genesis chapter 1 as literal. But now you had to. Because now it was a cultural war. Scopes and all that. Now we were shoved so far to the right. Uh, notice the separation in his... How separate you get from the world here. Pull back, pull back, pull back. Mark, I think Mark did a fantastic job today. Um... He was saying, oh, do you have this, do you have that? And, I was, and a few times I had to say, no, we don't. And he, you could see him going, okay, I'll just, I'm going, Mark, when you've spent 170 years driving your artist out, you don't have artist. It's natural selection. I said, so we're having to rebuild this. Um, this is by, by far the, the most lovely auditorium I've been able to worship in in a very long time. And when I was a boy, we bought a church building from the Methodist, and then put um, drywall, plasterboard, over these stained glass windows. Because all that's reeking of room. <laughs> I was thinking, no, I think it, it's more like Methodism. But anyway, they, they put it up anyway. Uh, behavior was important, but there was more focus on what was not allowed than what was mandated by god love was just not you were only to love the kind of people you want that god liked not love everybody and we were known by what we were against not just us but all in the fundamentalist movement how many of us grew up with you're in a church of christ you don't have music you guys don't that's how they knew us i want the fourth avenue church to be known as um oh you're the people that love people all right by the way, if some of you are wondering, why didn't he say Fourth Avenue Church of Christ? Because I saved two syllables. And because in the New Testament, it'll often say the church at Corinth. The church at, it doesn't always have to say the full name. All right? I'm proud to be a church of Christ. Like I said, you can't drive me out. <laughs> if you're moving away, can I come with you? <laughs> the problem is if you create boxes to live in, you have to live in them. And that meant that new ideas and new science had no room and our students grew up and they left us because they got new ideas, new science, and they left. They saw holes in our logic, weren't allowed to ask. I remember when I was a boy, long hair was a real issue. If you're one thinking, oh that's not an issue today, oh please. You know, Paul called homosexual activity, whatever he was referencing, was probably more temple-based than what we think of today, but regardless, an abomination. But he also said long hair is an abomination. I think Paul might have overabominated himself there. But we can talk about this some. But my father believed it and we were preached too hard. I went to Fried Hardeman. Yes, I did. They don't want me to tell you that. <laughs> First DN, we're all sitting in the old administration building and we're surrounded by the pictures, the frowning faces of all the reformers. And they read us the rules, and there were a lot of rules. We had a long day ahead of us. And for the boys <laughs> Your hair could not touch your eyebrows, the top of your ears, or your collar, and no facial hair. And I'm looking around thinking, most of them couldn't have gotten in this school. (laughs) Which is one of the reasons they don't want me to tell you that I went there. The the thing is, where did we get that concept? I remember going to my mother, because I thought she'd be safe. And I said, I'm just working out the logic here. If, if, if a man has a three-inch long hair on top of his head, it's all right. But if it starts here, it's wrong. And immediately she said, "Bell!" And I'm going, no, don't bring him in. You know, <laughs> your son wants to be a hippie. And I'm going, no. Uh, that was the first time I ever thought about running away and joining a commune, though, just to get out. The point is, we weren't allowed to ask questions. So what happens? They leave figures are all over the board but it is it is estimated in the churches of christ that we lose over 70 percent of our youth by the second year of university and don't some of it is university fault there are bad universities but most of it is because they finally got a whiff of freedom and they found people that were nice that didn't believe what we believed and they were always told everybody else wasn't nice In Colorado, we had a neighbor that was better Christians than us, even though they did it all wrong. Cami and I—it it became a joke. We tried to out-Christian them at every stage. Can't be done. They were going to out-love us, out-give us, out-Christian us at every—and we'd even go in our house and look at each other and go, "Man, we almost had it. We almost had it." And so, when people find that, they leave. When we start questioning and doing higher criticism of Scripture or looking at science, we have to leave. Um, got a few more minutes here. I've got about seven minutes left. Some of our churches identified with the fundamentalists to the point where they accepted all the doctrines, including premillennialism. If you're not aware of that, that almost became the standard teaching in the Churches of Christ. It, it, it was such a big movement. People like Foy e. Wallace Jr. really killed that one with some public debates. Um, but there were people like Robert Bowl of Louisville, Kentucky, a graduate of Lipscomb, who believed it. Alexander Campbell believed in a premillennial reign, um, the millennial reign, so premillennialism. Uh, through eight, uh, 1909 to 1940s, this was debated and the hot subject in the Churches of Christ. Another version of it is still alive in the Churches of Christ, and that's the idea that Jesus did come back. At the fall of Jerusalem, and he's not coming back again. He's already here. And it's a whole, it's Max R. King in his book, The Spirit of Prophecy, really put that out. And I've run across several of those churches still out there as well. Lines were drawn. And now a separate people existed that had to define themselves. You have to find your touchstones. Who are you? So they went on search. But they couldn't use lipscomb anymore. After 52 years of leading and speaking for the movement, he was dead and gone. A good man. Did I agree with everything? No, but I would never question that man's character or his scholarship or his love of Jesus Christ, ever. Good man. Better man than I on a couple of levels, absolutely, when I look at his life. Uh, Others took up his mantle. We... Don't have time to look at a lot of them, so I'll just do a couple real quick. A.G. Freed, M.B. Hardeman, Might have heard of them. Freed started West Tennessee Bible College, and Hardeman went there, got his B.A. and M.A. degrees. And later, they decided to start a new school in Henderson, Tennessee, because that way there would be something in Henderson, Tennessee. <laughs> when I went there, it had two traffic lights, and one of them had the red on top, and the other one had the green on top. Seriously, and my roommate was colorblind <laughs> Made for an interesting ride <laughs> It was called the National Teachers Normal and Business College and in 1919 the College Board renamed it after them Fried Hardeman College a lot of schools started at that time Most of them didn't survive and most that did eventually went to the disciples left us Daniel Sommer and his people remember him? Disapproved of colleges and fought them hard. Um, JD Tant from Texas did the same. We had a whole bunch of people from Texas today, so I'm not knocking Texas. My in laws live in Texas. You don't mess with Texas. I get that, it's on signs. But Tant said this if we can have a Christian college, can we have a Christian farm? All right, there was a little bit of a logical leap there, but all right, get it. he fought and by the way i would say yes you can grow veggies give them away dedicate the farm to christ right i've got to tell on them they said they sent me an invitation to come to the opening of yahweh's kitchen i thought what's that and i I looked at my wife and i said well it might be a free meal but i think probably donations are going to be required (laughs) not really sure and so we got the address as we're getting closer we're going this is in a neighborhood how they set up a nonprofit in the neighborhood and it's their house walk in there's food people are talking i finally walked over and i said what's Yahweh's kitchen and they said oh we just remodeled our kitchen we're, we're you know, giving it to god and everything here and i'm going seriously i could have left my wallet in the car i didn't say that out loud i i didn't say that out loud no no it's too late it's it it, it is we gave that to a, to a christian at guitar center um but you can dedicate things to christ but jd tant was famous for saying brethren we are drifting brethren we are drifting and eternity alone can tell the end hardiman became see yeah got four more minutes hardiman became a full-time evangelist but at the time he was mainly an apologist for schools he was fighting on the other side of the churches of christ one little group now fighting each other in the south almost about to split they almost did over premillennialism and this as well he became the main voices of the churches of christ so it was he who was invited to a wee town called nashville to speak at a place called ryman auditorium about what the church of christ is and what we believe and those hard uh, hardiman tabernacle sermons became who we were because they were printed in the newspaper the Tennessean word for word the next day it was sold out crowds everybody knew us by what he defined us as then now Hardiman was a fantastically decent man but he drew lines I would not have drawn and he made assumptions I would not have made he by the way this is over a period of time he kept coming back it was a 19 year period of time preached five series of meetings had 127 sermons and back in the 70s when I went to that college out west most of the young preachers that were asked to come preach at all the wee tiny churches around were still stealing his sermons because those were safe I was told this cannot have happened it cannot but I was told it did that one even copied it to the point where he said and to those in a balcony in a little church that didn't have one I think he was still trying just to make a point, the guy that said that really happened. Debates were all over. When I was a boy, starting at the age of nine, my father wanted me to read every debate in the Churches of Christ. By the age of 12, I had. And he could quiz me on any of them. For E. Wallace, Alexander Campbell, R.H. Bowl, whatever, and I'd be able to say that he took this proposition, he took this proposition. These were these points, those were those points. Yeah, we didn't. We were only one light bulb away from being Amish. We didn't get to watch TV or something. This, was, this is what we did. Uh, my wife looks at me sometimes and just smiles and says, It's amazing that you never climbed a tower with a rifle. <laughs> but after, after these series of meetings, Nashville had more Church of Christ members than any other city of any size and still holds the title, Of most churches and most members to this present day it all started with Hardiman and Ryman Auditorium debate still raged R.H. Bowl versus H. Leo Bowles easy to confuse on premillennialism Lipscomb versus Austin McGarry Texan on the need to be rebaptized Lipscomb said if you're baptized anywhere anytime you're in Austin McGarry said you had to be baptized in the Church of Christ for the remission of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or what it didn't, didn't take everybody debated on whether we should have a name and if so what should it be that was a very long fight don't have time to go into pacifism versus military service pacifism was pushed by Nashville Bible School Lipscomb and Harding Abilene pushed military service took a toll the Churches of Christ lost 2,411 churches between 1906 and 1930. That's, that's, that's more than 100 churches a year, 24 years. There were some sweet voices. I'll leave you with one name, T.B. Larimore. T.B. Larimore, a very sweet man who tried to bring us back to love, tried to bring us back to unity, but there wasn't enough to drown out a major voice that was about to hit that would define us as much as M.B. Hardiman and the Tabernacle Sermon did. We'll talk about him next week, Lord willing. And I had to read every book of his as well and be quizzed on it relentlessly and constantly as well. His name is Foy e. Wallace, Jr. We'll talk about him next time. Until then, isn't it good that God has such patience he hasn't killed us yet? Really. And as I've said before, I try to be humble about this. I truly believe my grandkids are going to look at what I said and say, are you kidding? But I'm saved by grace and so are you. Go in the love of the Lord.